This is the Power of Genetics podcast. In each episode, I'll be interviewing successful practitioners and impactful thought leaders in the world of health and performance. They will share their journey, their insights, and their best advice for us all. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. Let's begin with today's episode. A very big and warm welcome to today's guest, Melissa Groves Azero, who has been a friend and a colleague of mine for many, many years. And I am absolutely delighted to welcome Melissa to join us today on the Path Genetics podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this chat with you. So, Melissa, you um, have a lot going on and you have an amazing presence. Um, and before we go back and, and have a look at how you landed up being what and who you are right now, can you just introduce yourself as your identity now? Because you have an incredible presence on social media, on podcasts, educationally, and of course, working with patients. But let's just start with that. And then if you're happy, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and kind of figure out what that journey was. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Melissa Groves Azero. I'm the founder of The Hormone Dietitian, uh, which is an integrative and functional nutrition practice entirely virtual. And I focus uh, exclusively on women's health and hormones. So uh, primarily PCOS, but also other hormone imbalances and hormonally driven conditions, as well as fertility concerns. I'm located in New Hampshire, uh, which is, is a change for me. I am I do consider myself a New Yorker through and through, okay. uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, and, and I'm a second career dietitian. So I went back to school um, and became a dietitian at 40 uh, because I, my first original, you know, I have a degree in English um, literature and, and dance. And, and dance. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. I was like, wow, amazing. All right. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. You, you okay. Just, okay. Why? Let's go back to the beginning. English, dance, all of that. Why? Okay. So I always, I grew up dancing. I love dancing. I'm a very creative person. Um, I love the arts of all aspects. Uh, I also love books and writing and reading. And so when I went to school the first time, and you're going to laugh, my my plan was to double major in dance and English so that I could become a dance critic or a dance writer. Um, at the time, you know, there there's one, you know, at the New York Times, and she does a great job, you know. <laughs> and you want her does, job, but she's not going to her, her yeah. job. And so you know, I, I always kind of teased, you know, was teased that, oh, you're going to live in a giant refrigerator box after you graduate with these degrees that are, you know, essentially unmarketable, right? So, um, so as I was going through school and thinking about what's a more realistic career, what can I see myself doing? Um, that love of writing and books always came back. And so then the idea became, I'm going to become a book editor. I'm going to work in publishing, going to edit books. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. 
Long story short, book editors don't actually edit books anymore. Um, book editors are kind of like the liaison between the author and you know, publicity and all of that, the agent. Um, it's a lot of schmoozing and not a lot of working on the actual books. All of oh. the editing work is actually farmed out to freelancers. So. Oh, I did not know that. I okay. kind of got into this career and I, I thought I'd be very glamorous, you know, like Jackie O was a book editor and I just, you know, thought it, it was something that it was not. So about six months in, um, I had a, I had a really psycho boss. She was really <laughs> not great. And so, um, I started, you know, looking at this, at this point, you know, back then job listings were all in paper. So I'm, you know, scanning the back of the New York times and the village voice for job listings. And I answered an ad for a proofreading position at an advertising agency. And it, you know, so I ended up taking this job as a proofreader, um, and it ended up being pharmaceutical advertising. So oh. I've always been, you know, very, very smart science. Com everything comes very easy to me when it comes to school and learning. And so, you know, pretty rapidly, I rose from proofreader to, to copy editor to editor. And then um, the creative directors started approaching me and saying, have you ever thought about writing? Have you ever thought about becoming a writer? And I'm, I've always you know, I always said, I, I write a really good research paper, but I'm not a good creative writer. Um, and they're like, that's exactly what we need. We need someone who can read journal articles, pull out the so what, and, you know, be able to share that. So I started writing. And again, I sort of rapidly rose in advertising, um, you know, from copywriter to associate creative director. I was a VP by the age of 32 in advertising. And I was working on the highest science accounts because they knew that I could handle it. So what with that no means, science training at all, right? So you were just with no science. Stuff. Yeah. You know, I had one anatomy class uh, as part of my dance major. And here I am working on, um, you know, cellular pathways of cancer. Um, I was working on targeted therapies, um, VEGF inhibitors and TKF, like all of these, um, really targeted, uh, drugs. And I was became, you know, had quite a name for myself as an oncology writer in New York city advertising. Like there were like companies were literally fighting to have me on their accounts at one point, but you know, if you know anything about advertising and you've, you know, most people have seen Mad Men and there's just, it's a lot, they basically own you. Yes. So, you know, it's like, we need you to fly to Tulsa, Oklahoma this weekend. It's like, well, maybe I had other plans this weekend. Um, and you know, it got to the point where I was working 80, 90 hours a week was like a, a low week. Um, and it, it started impacting my life more than I wanted it to. You know, I, it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm doing all this work um, for what? You know, for, for other companies to make money on their drugs. And the only way I was able to live with myself through all of this was because of the drugs I was working on. You know, it was like, I wasn't working on weight loss drugs or cholesterol drugs. I was working on something that really was helping people live longer with cancer. Um, so I started, you know, thinking like, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? And, you know, through this whole process, I'm really grateful that 
I learned that I really like science, you know, and, and, um, I really enjoy all of it, the biology and the chemistry and the pathophysiology. And so I started looking into, you know, I'm sitting in my living room in Brooklyn one night, just panicking about what am I going to do? And I'm staring at my bookshelves. I've got four bookshelves full of cookbooks, food politics books, nutrition, diet books, everything. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder what it would take for me to, to do that as a career. And I really didn't know anything about it at the time. And I, I started looking into the prerequisites and I started taking the prerequisites so that I could apply to grad schools um, in nutrition. And what ended up happening was I didn't end up going to the grad schools. I, I got into four different grad schools and I kind of came back up to New Hampshire where my parents were to kind of relax for the summer, clear my head, figure out, am I going to Seattle? Seattle was one of my top choices, okay. I'm sure. Sure, you know where. Yes, um, I do. You can say uh, it. Yeah, I assume is where you had your eye on. Or am I going to Michigan or yeah. am I going to stay in New York and go to Hunter? And I got into every program I applied to. So really it was, you know, the, the options were open and I, I really fell in love with the New Hampshire like culture. You know, I don't know if you know, our state motto is live free or die. Um, so I very much value freedom and independence. Um, and so our uh, University of New Hampshire has a bachelor's. So I ended up just getting a third bachelor's in nutrition. <laughs> and then I met a guy and you know how that goes. So now I live in New Hampshire. And so you, you completed your, you shifted over to dietetics. Shifted over. It took about seven years. I was going to um, say, I, I, I don't think anyone appreciates that you didn't just shift over to dietetics. It is a very long program. Yeah. So with the, you know, I was going with the thought that I was going into graduate school. So I was taking all the prerequisites. And since I had a BA, you know, Bachelor in the Arts, um, I really didn't have any of the requirements. So I was taking um, statistics and psychology and anatomy and physiology and all of those sort of basic courses while I was still freelancing in advertising okay. in New York City. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, there comes a point with the nutrition uh, curriculum where you really do have to be in person and full time when you're doing, you know, medical nutrition therapy and you're doing clinical rotations. Um, so I did two years full-time at the University of New Hampshire, got that degree. And then I also did my internship at the University of New Hampshire. Okay. So you land up being a dietitian, right? You've given up yes. this world of advertising, very different. We dress very differently. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> well, some of us dress differently. Um, and and what is your experience then? I mean, you, you've, you've given up so much. You've sacrificed so much. You've moved. Um, what is, what is, is it everything that you dreamed it would be? Is it a disappointment? Do you like what now? Like, what was your experience of that? Yeah. So, you know, I've always been more drawn to natural methods of healing, you know, food first approach, uh, functional foods, uh, supplements over medications, lifestyle medicine. Um, I was a little concerned about what that was going to look like going back to school. And I, I will say, you know, maybe it was because of where I was, but 
my professors were very open-minded um, at the University of New Hampshire. The focus there is actually on sustainability. Um, so yeah, so I ended up doing a lot of work in like food systems and things like that. Um, so there was really very little that I felt conflicted with my values uh, when it came to nutrition and health. Um, but it was, it was a definite shift. So I really, I tried to keep an open mind um, going through the program. I actually had no desire to go into private practice. I did not, I did not think that was going to be an avenue for me. Um, and you know, when you graduate, it's, it's pretty difficult, especially in this area, because we're so close to Boston. So it's a very saturated job market for dietitians and healthcare practitioners. And so I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I applied for so many jobs. I applied for jobs at substance abuse facilities. Um, I applied for cooperative extension jobs. I applied for school nutrition jobs. It really was kind of up to fate uh, what was going to happen. Um, what I really knew that I really liked was we had gotten the chance to shadow a dietitian who worked in retail. Um, so that was what I ended up getting for my first job was a retail RD job, which was super fun. Um, what is a retail RD job? What is that? Yeah. So Hannaford is a East Coast grocery chain and they have dietitians on staff. So for every grocery store, maybe one day a week, they'll have a dietitian available at the store. So, you know, we're there to answer okay. questions like say somebody's child was just diagnosed with celiac disease. They need help shopping. Um, wow. I could do that. Cool. I could give, you know, grocery yeah. store tours. We would do recipe demonstrations. Um, it was a super, super fun job. Um, and it was two days a week and it paid well enough that I didn't really, you know, I knew my student loans were going to be taken care of. And then I could kind of do whatever else I wanted on the side. Um, simultaneously, I got a job working with a local private practice dietitian who needed help with marketing. And so I was doing some marketing for her, um, as well as seeing patients and that did not work out. And she was, um, a functional dietitian, a functional gut-based dietitian. And so I kind of watching her practice, I knew at first of all, I thought, okay, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. This is totally doable. Um, but I also learned what I didn't want in a practice. You know, I didn't want to take insurance where people were there because their doctor was making them come. I wanted people who were very engaged in their um, care and they wanted to learn. Um, and also simultaneously to this, I got a job writing. So, you know, writing has always been my background. I love writing about nutrition. I love creating things. So I got a job writing um, for Healthline in the beginning. So I was writing one article a week for them in addition to the other things. And what ended up happening after I left the local private practice was I started my own practice. And, you know, I had these sort of two other things going on, the writing and the grocery store that was allowing me sort of the space to grow my practice. Both, both the practice, right. Without having to put too much pressure on you know, having to get clients right away. So, so, I mean, it's an, it's an amazing story, but how do we land up as being the hormone dietitian? 
Yeah. So part of it has to do with working for the gut health dietitian who I was working for because of the non-compete agreement. Um, I very much wanted to brand myself as far away from gut health as possible. And obviously, you know, working with hormones, we do a lot of gut work um, with it, but I'm not a gut health dietitian. I am a hormone dietitian. (laughs) And one of the first patients that I worked with, with PCOS, um, You know, when I started researching, because, you know, in the beginning, you're researching everything because everything's new to you when you're working with it. I started researching the recommendations and seeing how people with PCOS were being treated by conventional medicine. And I thought I can do better. Um, You know, we can we can accomplish a lot with nutrition and lifestyle changes. And I don't have PCOS myself. Um, I've definitely always struggled with hormone imbalances. I have um, PMDD. I've always had very high estrogen levels. Um, You know, so I've gone through that, you know, gone through how working in an advertising sort of lifestyle where it's nonstop, um, you know, added, made my symptoms worse. And how, you know, relying on takeout and too much coffee and too much alcohol just, you know, really uh, did not help my hormones any. So, you know, I can relate um, on some levels to PCOS, but it's not a condition that I have myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the, I mean, that's, that's interesting because it's quite rare to have someone who specializes in the space. They're usually like, this is my journey. I always, I always say, you know, that I'm one of the few people who work in functional medicine who didn't arrive here because I had a health challenge and then discovered functional medicine and changed my life. It actually didn't work like that for me at all. And, you know, so it doesn't, it's not the same for all of us that, that, you know, but I mean, I think one of the things that really stands out for me about your work is, and, and it makes so much sense to me now that you've kind of given the background. And one of the things I've always loved about your work is your ability to brand yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing about our profession, whether it's not just dietitians, it's health professionals, is we, we're very bad at it. We really are quite shocking. We're bad at, at communicating who, who we are, what we do, what we offer, what our value proposition is. Um, we're bad at being able to message it and share it. And you have always kind of stood out for me as having absolute clarity of execution. Like everything you do is beautifully done. It has very clear messaging, you know, and and of course now it just makes total sense with, with where you've come from. The funny thing is, you know, as a writer in advertising, my, um, you know, the account manager friends who are the more uh, product manager type people in that environment, they would always comment how strategic I was for a creative, like you're so strategic for a creative. But then, you know, as you are going up in levels and you're working, you know, I had an art partner, we would have a team of creatives. Um, One of the things that you work on with a client when they're trying to define a new brand, and when we're talking about pharmaceuticals, we're talking about billion dollar brands you know, we, we sit them down and we have a conversation with them and we ask them if your brand were a car, what kind of car would it be? If it were a food, what would it be? If it was an animal, what would it be? Um, you know, and I, I always, it's always about positioning yourself in the marketplace and that brand identity. Um, similarly, you have to do the same thing for your client. 
So who is your ideal client? Is my ideal client anyone with PCOS? Absolutely not. You know, I have a very specific person in mind who I'm talking to, and I'm only talking to that person all the time. So yeah, it's a, it's a very like, in some ways it's limiting, but in other ways it's, it's freeing to, you know, never really have to overthink what you're going to say. Cause it's just like having a conversation with that person, with, with that friend. And I mean, if you're creating a niche space to yourself, which you have, then it's very, it's a very clear conversation. And I think that's the point. Um, as I'm, as I'm talking to you though, what I'm kind of thinking to myself, and I guess you have done this is, you know, you're almost wasted in private practice. And I, and I know you do a lot more than private practice. You know, yeah, you write, you've got podcasts, you communicate, you educate. But I'm kind of sitting thinking like, wow, you know, you should be teaching, consulting, like helping professionals, like really understand what this this idea of creating your own brand. Because, you know, we always say, you know, to sell is human. And the one thing about health professionals is they think that like, selling is a dirty word and we said like we're selling health we're selling nutrition if we can't communicate what our value is you know how can we expect our patients to want to make changes to their life and I just and I know that you've done amazing work at DIFM which is the Dietitians and Integrative Functional Nutrition um, but I, all, I still feel like and and you know I'm, I'm sure you've got a whole nother career ahead of you that there's just so much you have to offer um, the whole industry, really. Thank you. Um, you know, I think it's talk, going back to that selling is a dirty word. You know, we just have to think about it. Like we have a solution that people need. Um, so you should never feel bad about sharing that solution. And, you know, maybe I'm not for you. Maybe I'm not the right dietitian for you. I'm very clear about who I am, what my methods are, what my approach is. If you don't jive with my methods, there are a hundred other dietitians you can go work with. And that's fine. You're not, you're not for me and I'm not going to be upset if you choose to work with someone else because of that, because I, I can only be who I am, you know, I'm not going to fit myself into yeah. a little box, depending on who I love I'm that. talking to. And, and yeah. never apologize, like never apologize for the work you do, never apologize for charging for your services, because there's so much value. And I think, you know, it's, it's that, I always think of you as kind of like the next evolution of the profession, you know, that, you know, we really need to evolve into understanding ourselves, the commercial service we offer, the value we offer, charging for that service that we offer, not apologizing for it, branding ourselves, communicating. So, you know, for me, you're like, you're, you're like the perfect example of someone who's really done that so, so beautifully. Um, so hopefully you'll be kind of inspiring many, many more to follow suit. Yeah, the, you know, charging, it's, there's so much, you know, psychology behind why it's difficult for dietitians to charge. I think we go into this profession not expecting to make a lot of money. Um, we, you know, are helping profession um, and that makes us feel bad for charging. Um, also, you know, we're what, like 97% female. Um, so, you know, we've, historically been charging less or valued less than, you know, people who are doing the same amount of work in similar 
professions. And I, I think a lot of dietitians kind of get confused and they confuse their business for a charity. You know, your business is not a charity. No. Your business makes money. And then what you choose to do with that money is up to you. I donate a lot of money back. I donate time. I do scholarships for my programs, you know, but you have to be able to pay your own bills before you can be that generous. You can't be generous if you don't have anything to give, you know, so you've got to look out for your own business and your own business's success because, you know, I think a lot of dietitians don't treat their business like a business and it is a business. And we need to think about things like profit margins and revenue and, you know, what our costs are every month. We need to know those numbers and we need to charge accordingly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard, especially, you know, when financial times are difficult, you know, right now, the price of everything is going up. And so your prices have to go up. They shouldn't come down you know, because your software price went up, your lab test price went up, your, you know, the supplement costs, everything's going up. So, you know, you can't stay this bargain basement, you know, price and be successful. And so many small businesses end up closing because they're not successful. I love that. I just have to say that the price of the three exfoliated tests went down. We're the only thing that went down. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right, let's, I have two more questions for you. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about genetics, but um, I wonder what we should do first. We'll finish with genetics, but I guess um, let's finish off with this. You know, I, I think you're extremely inspirational to other health professionals. And obviously that's why I wanted to talk with you. What is the advice what is that wisdom that you would offer to someone who is maybe in a profession that they don't love, maybe working 19 hours, maybe not doing work that's meaningful um, to them? Um, I especially, I always say like the best dietitians I've ever met in my life are all second career dietitians. You know, I started out in architecture, landed up in dietetics and genetics, right? So there's, there's always, and I always find for myself that when you bring those that left and right brain, when you bring other skill set into the world of nutrition, it just changes the dimension of what you're able to do. That's always been my opinion. But what is your wisdom that you would offer someone who is sitting there going, is this the right journey for me? Should I change? Should I? What would you tell them? Yeah, to me, um, my biggest core value and the thing that has helped me the most is authenticity. You know, you can only be true to yourself um, and only you can tell you what to do. Um, I see so often in like dietitian Facebook groups, people asking for opinions on, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, what's the dietitian answer to every question is it depends. It depends. You know, I don't know you. I don't know what it feels like to be in your body or be in your dietitian practice. I can't tell you how you should run your practice. Only you know. And I think, you know, that's been something where if, you know, if you build something, um, for example, I built my practice really fast. I had a really long wait list, had, you know, 30 clients a week on my schedule and I would open up my calendar and have a panic attack, you know, just look at it and just the blocks of time just totally blocked off. And I would, I would just start hyperventilating and it's like, okay, this is, 
success. Anyone would say this is success, but this is not, this does not feel good to me. Um, what am I going to do? What do I want? What, you know, what are the things that make me happy? Um, and figure out how to build a practice that works for you. Um, you know, and the, the authenticity piece of it, so many, so many people are out there, especially on social media, just sort of repeating things that are trending or things that they see. Um, there's no real critical thinking about it. There's no, um, where are you in what you're saying? You know, you have to, it, it's, it's about you, but it's, it's not about you. It's about your clients, but it's your take on whatever issue you're talking about, but you should be at the core of your marketing efforts and your sales efforts. Um, you know, because, because you're the person people are paying to work with. All right. And because this is called the Power of Genetics podcast, let's have um, um, a last few questions about genetics. So, um, yeah, we've known each other for quite a while, and you've seen three x four go from little to big, and um, you've seen the industry grow of genetics and nutrigenomics and and functional nutrition and functional medicine. So. Let's finish off by just, you know, I'd love your opinion on where you see the value of genetics in impacting the kind of work you do and, and generally in kind of the world of nutrition. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I've been, you know, sort of considering genetics for, you know, since the inception of my practice, you know, whether it's extracting that raw data and running it through a processor and looking at specific genes, but you know, I think it's very informative, you know, and with my, my personal, you know, a couple things with me personally, um, when I had my vitamin D level tested and it was 23, you know, and I took 10,000 IUs of vitamin D every day for six months and I got tested again and it was 29 and it was like, okay, I'm still deficient. What is going on now? So I think genetics can help give us some insight into things like that, why it's happening, you know, and I have every gene that blocks vitamin D absorption. So, you know, for me, I know, okay, I need, I do need to focus more on spending time out in the sun, getting, getting sun on my skin, um, as well as the dietary. So I, I think that genetics helps shed light on some unanswered questions, which from a functional medicine perspective, we're always looking for, well, what's that root cause? Why, why can't you absorb vitamin D? Are you not eating enough? Or what, what's the issue? So you can look at genes, you know, to sort of inform what's going on. It's, it's an additional source of information, you know, in addition to all the conventional and other functional lab tests that we have. Um, you know, we're looking at things like risk factors, especially when it comes to hormone stuff. So, you know, my family, we've got breast cancer and hysterectomies on both sides of my family. No BRCA1 gene. Like BRCA1 isn't, isn't the isn't thing. The thing. So what's the thing? Um, so, you know, learning that I had two mutations on my comp gene and that about, you know, 90% of my methylation genes like MTRR, PEMPT, um, you know, all of them are, are, making methylation more difficult for my body, knowing that it's like, okay, well, that's near where I need to focus my effort on is supporting methylation. So 
you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, I, I, I know you do this for a living, but I feel like, you know, we're still at the beginning, the very beginning of this journey with genetics and still learning what it means and what it doesn't mean. And, you know, I know with PCOS in particular, um, there've been some potential gene mutations that have been identified, but we don't quite have it nailed down yet, which ones and why. Um, but I do think, you know, learning our genetic risks um, and how our bodies are expressing those genes, that's the other thing is just because you have all the methylation blocking genes doesn't, doesn't mean that you're not methylating. Yeah. Um, so you have to look at things like homocysteine and phase two detoxification of estrogen and see, okay, well, how am I actually functioning in this moment with, with these genes that I was born with? Um, so I think it's, you know, it's a continuum. We're going to continue to get to the point where, uh, nutrition and healthcare is more and more personalized based on our own unique bio individuality. That's the word. Mm -hmm. I love that word. And and it's been around for, for decades, but really, you know, that is what it is, bio individuality, whether it's genetics, or biomarkers, or proteins, or gene expression. Microbiome. Microbiome, yep. right? It's like, let's know who you are. We know who mm -hmm. you are, we can help you better. Well, Melissa, it's been absolutely amazing spending this time with you, getting to hear the details of your journey. I knew only like the broad strokes of, of how you got here. I'm very excited to see um, how you continue and, and continue to have the impact that you're having. So thank you very much for, for joining us here today. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I know most people know me from my Instagram account, which is the.hormone.dietitian. I do have a practitioner facing one, but I, I only, uh, it's sort of my free time passion project one. Um, it's the.marketing.dietitian. So oh, I do share some, mar some marketing tips there um, because Sorry. people are always asking, you know, how did you get here? And it's like, well, short of working in advertising for 15 years, you know, at least these tips I can I can share with people that's great because that's exactly what I was saying to you you need to be offering that as well so that's perfect great way to finish all right thank you so much and we will hopefully see you in person soon thank you for listening to the power of genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 genetics for more episodes please visit 3x4genetics.com backslash podcasts